This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is probably supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Welcome to Cottage Talk, and joining me tonight, I have Emilio Danello, Mike Gregg, and Scott Tanfield from Friends of Foam, all on this show. This episode, we'll be doing our end-of-the-season review, but we're going to be doing it a little bit differently. We're going to focus on several factors that led to this very disappointing Foam season. This should be a fun and fast-moving show, as we have many talking points to get through. But before I do anything else, I want to welcome the guys back to the show. First, Mr. Tanfield, how are you doing tonight? Very well, Russ. Uh, good to be back on. Been a while. It's been a while, Scott, and I look forward to doing this show with you. We have a lot to talk about. We we did our mid-season review, me, you, and Emilio, so we are doing this again at the end of the season. It should be fun. Yeah, looking forward to it. Okay, great. Mr. Danella, how are you doing tonight? Hi there, Russ. Hi, Scott. Hi, Mike. Yeah, it's uh, I'm fine. It's I'm, I'm looking forward to doing this end-of-season review. Like I said, let's going to be a slightly different perspective tonight so i think we've, we've we know what miserable season we've had so let's let's <laughs> let's have a bit of fun you know reflecting on the misery that we've had to endure for the last nine months and maybe maybe also take some positives into next season okay excellent mr greg it's been a little bit how are you doing there my friend yeah i'm good russ uh, i think i've forgotten now about the season and now you're <laughs> asking me to remember it all but uh sorry yeah i no, look yeah <laughs> No, looking forward to the show, and uh, yeah, good to uh, be on with uh, Scott and Emilio and yourself. Okay, well, this should be good. All right, guys, let's get going. Let's start first with recruitment, because that's obviously going to be something we need to really get into. I know we've talked about it a great deal, but we have several topics under recruitment that we're going to talk about. And Mr. Tanfield, I'm going to start with you first. Here it is. Did they simply invest in the wrong players last summer? Um, I mean, this one's been a topic that we've discussed quite a few times, Russ. Um, I mean, I think the intentions of the owners were there to, to buy the right players, um, to buy the right calibre of players. Um, 
But when you look at it on a whole, I think we kind of, or, or, or my feelings and the guys might sort of have a different perspective on this, I, I think we kind of drove more towards the, the Rolls-Royce type of players rather than sort of um, kind of concentrating on a core squad. Um, don't get me wrong, on paper, um, I think most of us thought that we would probably do a little bit better in the season, maybe sort of a mid-table finish. And I don't think right. we, you know, we thought we'd struggle. But then when you looked at it, um, sort of as a few games went past, we, we looked at the shells and the series and we, we started to realise that these type of players weren't kind of in it for a, a dogfight. Right. Um, and when that happened, we, you know, we, we kind of looked very light on on the ground. Um, a few injuries didn't help. But yeah, I mean, recruitment, I think, could have been a little bit better. Um I just don't think, you know, we'd kind of learn from last time being in the Premiership and what we really needed. I know a lot's changed, um, yep. but ownership and stuff like that, I just, for me, I think we were a little bit naive again in what we required. Um, I think we showed experience again in regards to buying players. And the, the good old factor we always do, uh, which I'm kind of sort of not looking forward to again this summer, is leaving everything to the last minute. We're going to talk about that, my friend. Trust me, because I think that's a factor in all this as well. Yes. Very good. Over to you, Mike. Your thoughts on this. Do you agree with Scott that maybe we signed too many of these Rolls-Royce players, players that weren't, I guess you could say, team players? So what are your thoughts about the recruitment? Did we just get it wrong with the wrong type of players for the Premier League for us? Uh, Yeah, well, in retrospect, obviously we did buy the wrong players because – you know, we went down. But I mean, I remember when we signed everyone, and mm-hmm. you can make you can make a case for every player. <clears throat> but what I would say um, is, I always felt we were missing a, a right midfielder, and I still felt we needed another centre back. Mm-hmm. And I think you look at all those players that we signed. Um, you know, Scherler, Chambers, Mensah, all on loan, all with Premier League experience. Um, you know, Mitrovic, Siri, you know, all these guys, and Mawson, there's lots of lots of experienced players there, you know, not all from the Premier League, but, uh, you know, with good reputations. But, uh, yeah, it just hasn't worked as a whole. And right. um, I think the one thing missing, really, when you look back at everything, is a, is a leader... Um, a leader with experience who probably should have been at centre-back or in midfield. Um, I think that's the, the biggest miss uh, for us. You know, Mawson wasn't ready, he was injured, and we had our own injuries from our, our main squad of players who were here last year. So, yes, in retrospect, we got it wrong. But I think the bright lights in the last few days, you know, you know following Wembley, Yep. Some decent signings up to that last week, and we were still short. And then suddenly it was, for various reasons, we suddenly got a load of more money than we expected to spend. And, uh, you know, maybe we spent that in the wrong place. And uh, I wouldn't say panicked, but we just uh, we went we went for the, the headlights instead of, you know, the body of the engine. That actually makes a lot of sense, Mike. I'm glad you said that. Kind of goes along with what Scott was saying, but something that you said really rings true with me. And Emilio, I want your thoughts on this. So share your thoughts on what the guys are talking about with the type of players that they brought in. Like Scott said, these Rolls Royce types of players. But where was the leaders? 
that they needed for this fight because uh, it's a good point by Mike, and I believe Scott was also talking about the type of players we were bringing in. What are your thoughts about all this? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I've always, you know, complained about the lack of leadership. You know, I've always said Tom is love him or hate him or, you know, the fact that he didn't really perform at the highest level this season just gone. It's, he's, not, he's not really a leader on the pitch and he's, he went missing when we needed him. So we needed that sort of dynamic, strong leader, like a John Terry, dare I say, that type of central defender, to Mike's point, who would lead from the yeah. back. I always saw Alpine Mawson potentially being a leader and until he got injured uh, again at Christmas time. But, you know, we, we went and bought these Cavalier signings and sort of basically isolated all those championship players who, who got us into the division. So it's, you can imagine, you know, suddenly one minute you've, 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 you've helped the team win at Wembley, get promoted to the Premier League. Next minute, you're dumped into the reserves or out, you know, basically put on the transfer list. So it's, that obviously has an impact. That's obviously impacted motivation, confidence levels amongst those players. But overall, I believe there was panic behind. Scott made the valid point around leaving everything to the last minute. That's what we yes. traditionally always do. So that, you know, there's about three, two, two plus months to get our crap in order, for a better word. And, you know, we leave it that last few days, last couple of days to, to do the bulk of the signings. But, you know, I agree with what Mike said. You know, back in August time, we were all expecting to stay in the Premier League with that squad of players. No right. one expected us to get relegated. If we turn the clock back and do, look at the shows that we did back in August last year, I predicted 13th place, if I recall. 13th, 14th. In the Premier League. So, yep. on paper, that squad should have been good enough to be in the Premier League, whether we, there were Cavalier signings or not. You know, there was enough experience okay. there. And... The recruitment did focus on additional players. You know, Mawson was brought, Mossop was brought in, admittedly had an injury. Chambers was expected to come into central defence and failed misery. So you could argue to some extent that the owners actually purchased players and had cover in all positions. Goalkeeper, you know, we made a couple of signings. Defensively, maybe slightly less so. But if you look at that collective as a whole, you'd argue that the, the, the owners did buy sufficient players in various positions that had sufficient cover there, including the players from the championship. So overall, easy to reflect now that we were wrong signings, but you know, none of us expected us to have got relegated, put it that way. Sure. I totally agree with that. And uh, let me now go over to you, Mike, because Scott's already brought it up and Emilio's already talked about this. The lateness of many of these signings, obviously on the, the last day of the window, how much of a factor was this in Fulham season, and you, obviously we could talk about the individual players, but this is a common occurrence from Fulham. It's not just Fulham. Other clubs deal with this. They leave it late, but other clubs don't. So how much of a factor do you put on Fulham leaving their business to the last minute? Well, I mean, I mean, we were short in that last week. I mean, we signed six players in that last week, five on the last day. Right. Um, I mean, when you when you look at the players we signed, I mean, we finished the season, you know, with four of them pretty much as as regulars. Um, but they they were just, you know, it is too late. You know, you need you don't have any time to get you know patterns of play into uh, into place on the training field if you're signing them two days before the first game. So, you know, Joe Bryan was signed on the last day, but that's because we were toying with target. That's right. Uh, and that eventually, that eventually didn't work. Um, you know, and Greaser was a, a last day, you know, 
sign in for a lot of money and uh, that's the one that we all look at and go that was that was odd um you know spend all that kind of money on on him whether you think he's good or bad i'm not, I'm not having that conversation at the moment but you know that, that was a strange buy chambers made made sense uh rico was signed last day and so is vieto from you know they both came in from spain i mean rico I don't think the intention was to get a second goalkeeper. It's just that, you know, they saw Fabry in uh, in training and, and Slav wasn't impressed. So, you know, Rico became available and, and we went for him. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't help. And you wish they were earlier. And you, and you fought the time. I mean, you know, we got Seri and Marchand joined in 12th of July. And, you know, Fabry just later in July, Mitrovic and Scherler arrived. You know, so in the space of two weeks in July, we'd, you know, half the half the squad had come in. So it looked like they'd had learned some lessons. Um, but yeah, but yeah. Let, let's hope they they don't make the same mistakes uh, this summer and, and try try and bring in players uh, as quickly as possible. But yeah, it it didn't help uh, bringing them in so late. Absolutely, Mike and Scott. Over to you because you've already mentioned this a little bit talking about the lateness, and this has been a theme. This is nothing new, but I'm glad that we're talking about it because when you look at it, and Mike's already talked about Nguisa, we're talking about Brian, and obviously I understand the whole target thing. Folks who meant that they're trying to decide on a right back, and obviously that didn't work out either, but it's not having the time for these players to gel together I think has to be a factor in the season, and I hope, as Mike said, They've learned their lesson this time that they don't keep it like Scott. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, think about it. There's also the factor of the the playoffs. I mean, once you get through that, the final, and I think I can't remember exactly. I mean, one of the other guys might be able to sort of say, but you you tend to lose another week or two weeks, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, there's significant time you're losing be, between the you know, end low, of the season. Yeah. yeah, loan players are still with you. You have a keeper. They go back. You got to sort them out. Players coming in, and you know, so it, it's already an uphill battle before you've started. Um, but for me, it's the whole planning thing. I mean, it's um, you know, we we've been out of the Premiership for four years, and you know, we we'd learned obviously lessons in the Championship coming up. But you just would have thought the club would have been a little bit more kind of specific, knowing that all right, we've, we've got the playoffs, so you had to plan for that. You knew that it was going to be limited time. Um, I think we also struggled. I mean, talk about that right side again. I think we struggled. Yes. On- players I think we we've been turned down on three before we'd we'd gone for Mensa in that position um I think there was a chat from Bright and there was one other from that's Bright. right yeah um you know we'll probably discuss it later we we had murders in in the January transfer window again but yeah. it then because you, you you sort of relegated club and players don't want to come um I just look I understand um it's not easy getting players and we all sit there and say just sign somebody but it doesn't it's not <laughs> I just feel that as a club, you know, we've the Carnes have been here a while now. And we've been doing this a while. I just think they need to get people behind the scenes that are pretty good at this. If they're not, move them on, bring people in that can do the job properly. Um, and at least, you know, if we do manage to get back next time, we, we stand half a chance of actually surviving that first season. Right. And listen, I'm glad that we're talking about it. Obviously, they want the players in sooner than later, but there has to be a balance and an urgency especially with the less time. It could have been maybe two to three weeks compared to other teams in the Premier League. On top of that, you have the summer transfer window ending 
earlier than normal. So you are really up against it. As Scott already said at the beginning of the window, and then you also have the backside. Now that's for all teams, but still it's a different dynamic. And then you have all these signings at the last minute and you're expecting these players to gel. And I think it was an uphill struggle. I didn't see it at the time. I just saw the players that they recovered at several positions as Emilio was saying, it looked like they, they took care of their business, but I think timing had a problem with uh, how it all played out. And I'm glad that we're talking about that. All right, Emilio, back over to you. Let's talk about this. Did the club simply buy too many players and isolated many of the championship players? Now, I know that they had to buy a good amount of players because of all the loan players. So what are your thoughts about this? You know, in, in hindsight, you could argue yes. But, you know, to my earlier point, you know, the, the owners bought, you know, you know, had enough cover in each of the in most of the positions. You know, I think there was a couple of areas. I even think Mike made a point that we were, you know, lacking maybe strength in on the right midfield. I also think we didn't have enough depth up front. You know, we're lucky Mitrovic was fit most of the season, but you can see we didn't score enough goals. And he and the second half of the season, Mitrovic was way off colour, should have banged in a few more goals, missed a lot of sitters, and that might be to do with confidence, you know, and for other reasons. So I just, you know, there were, I think striker-wise, we, we were a little bit short this season. But, you know, it's it's easy to complain now that maybe we did buy too many players, but it, what it did show is maybe the depth of or the quality of the, of the championship players was not quite good enough. Hence the reason that we needed to buy so many more players and have to get all these loan signings to strengthen the team. And and that's why Wolverhampton Wanderers, you know, did only made a couple or two or three key additions to their squad when they got promoted. And look, look where they finished, seventh in the league. So yep. maybe there's an argument here that we maybe got promoted a season too early, which is the reason why we end up spending too much there's all this talk about hundred million pounds that we spend and we've been relegated. So, you know, maybe, maybe there is a, there is a, an argument here that were we ready to get promoted? You that's know, very we, interesting. You know, maybe that's another, there's another fact, there's another consideration here. And, and the fact that we did get promoted, albeit by the playoffs, it clearly showed that maybe we didn't have the right depth, the right quality and experience to survive in a very difficult, probably the hardest league in the world. That's very interesting. Mike, I want your thoughts on what Emilio just said, because I've thought about this a great deal. Listen, Fulham team that got promoted had several loan players attached to it. And, you know, again, you're going to lose those loan players. You have to replenish that. But then you have the championship players that we've talked over and over again. How many of them were going to be good enough for the Premier League? And as we found out, several of them just weren't good enough for the Premier League. They're good enough for the championship. So I kind of understand why they had to bring in all these players. But what are your thoughts about the fact that they had to do this? Does it really even go back to the year in the championship when we built the club with a lot of these lone players compared to, say, Wolves, who had ready-made players for the Premier League? I'm curious your thoughts of this part of the recruitment process. Um. Well, I'm not going to criticise t- uh, the club on the loans last year because it made complete sense financially. Okay. Because we were in the we were in the we could have a whole show on Wolves <laughs> and what they did and and reasons they've been able to do what they did and also why we had to loan a load of players in the championship year. Okay. So it all made it all made sense. And you know, it'd be interesting if and when we get back, will fans accept? The club saying, right, well, we messed up last time by buying a load of players. What we're going to do is we're going to keep the same team that just got us promoted. You know, it's a it's a balance, isn't it? And I'm looking yep. at the players we're talking about. So 
So of the loans we had, Mitrovic obviously we signed. Sure. Target, Target we tried, but they wanted 20 million and then finally come back and said 16 and in that time we'd signed Brian. So then we go to uh, Jordan Graham, who was here for a little while. No, you know, he went off. Rafa Suarez, no, he went off. They were, both went off in January of last year. Ojo, did we really want him? No. Callis, now I personally would have loved to have signed Callis, but no. then somebody would turn around to me and say, yeah, but Adoy kept him out for half a season, <laughs> you know, in that, in, that, in that run we had. Right. So is he worth a place? And we, and we saw, and I hate to go back to it, but I did say what would happen, uh, Adoy played a lot of games in, in defence. Yep. And we, and, you know, he wasn't, I don't think he's good enough. He was exposed. Like. Yeah, Oliver Norwood. You know, what a great lad. That, tack, that, that block and everything in the final. Three years on the trot, he's got promotion. You know, let's see how he does eventually in the Premier League next year. And then there's Piazon. So when you look at who we didn't sign out of all of those, Piazon, Norwood and Callis, would they have made a huge amount of difference to what we were doing? I think Callis may have done. I don't think the other two would have done. What they would have done is given us depth right. and also knowledge of the club. So it would have been nice to sign them all, I suppose. But uh, in the overall scheme of things and the quality we saw, and I, I, you know, I think Scott and Amelia and, and many others would agree, we had four years away from the Premier League. We came back, and in that first game against Palace, we saw a difference, you know, it's yep. pace and power and the clinical finishing. And we saw that in the last game against Newcastle as well. And we were, let's be honest, we've got relegated because we were miles off of that. Um, so they had to sign this number of players because we just did not have a big enough squad because of other reasons. Okay. Very good there, Mike. Scott, your thoughts on what the guys are talking about in regards to this part of the recruitment? Yeah, I think Mike's right. Um, you know, I mean, I, I went to that Palace game. I mean, I, I must admit, um, kind of lost a bit of interest this season in regards to what's what's been going on. And you know, sort of, I've, I've not been to as many as I'd like to have been this season, just because I've I've, I've not wanted to go. But um, Mike's right. I mean, when I sat down and watched that Crystal Palace game, and bear in mind this this, this was Palace who stayed up the season before. Um, you know, and, and the difference between them, we huffed and puffed, and, and they were clinical. Um, you know, we, we seem to have that problem um, throughout the whole of the season. I mean, there were sort of, I think, areas where <clears throat> we did slightly improve, but it was never going to be a big enough improvement for us to stay up. Um, yep. We just weren't good enough, really. Um, and you look at the quality and depth and, you know, I, for me, I just, yeah. I mean, we talk about the balance. And Mike's right, actually. He, he sort of says about the four lone players, would any of them made a difference? They would have given us depth, but they wouldn't have made us any better in quality. Um, you know, and yeah, I just we we have four four years away, and it's improved. And I just for me, we weren't up to speed with it. Um, whether it was down to knowledge, um, expectation, um, you know, we had a few injuries or whatever, but that 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 whole balance wasn't right. Um, right. And it's interesting what you up about a doy because I was the same. Um, you know, I, I I said to myself, if we're going to play a doy at the back for the whole of the season, we're, we're going to get relegated. You know, I like yeah, you the guys, guys are right. Confusing. But he's just not Premiership quality. Right. He's you know he's another he's another Simon Morgan for me. He, you know he puts himself about. He, he plays for the shirt. Um, but at that level, 
just not good enough, but he's ended up playing majority of the games for us this season. Um, yeah. You know, and I think that's been the issue. Um, and I think that's okay. something that seriously need to look at, obviously, this year. Um, but the balance in the whole, I think, going down, um, I think the club's going to have a less of an excuse if they get it wrong because I think for once we've, you know, we've actually got a core of players, you know, we've yep. got sellable assets, um, you know, and, and how, what we can get for players coming out of the club, what we can invest. Um, they can probably put together a side, if not equally as, as good as Wolves from last season. Not saying that they have to go down that route uh, because sure. every, every club's different. Um, but I think they will run out of excuses this year if they if they don't get it right. Totally agree, Scott. I, you know, it's funny. I was just asked on another podcast, did I feel that foam have what it takes to bounce back? I actually do for a lot of the reasons you just said. And uh, it's different than the last time foam got relegated. It's very different. And uh, I feel confident that um, we should be in the mix and, dare I say, have a very good chance to come straight back up. But only time will tell. We have to see the moves that they make. And, um, Scott, let me quickly go back to you because uh, this is something that I, I think we need to talk about. We need to talk about the January transfer window because it's interesting. Why do you feel there was limited recruitment? And was it a lack of faith of Ranieri? or acceptance that we were going to get relegated, or were players just unwilling to come, or a combination of everything? What, what are your thoughts about what happened in January? Well, it was an odd bomb, wasn't it? Because we had players at Mottsburg Park. Um, the other club didn't want to pick up the phone because... and I, re- you know, I remember I, that. <laughs> and it was deliberate from their end because I didn't want to sell the player. Uh, but why were we pursuing a player? Why did we bring him over? Um, you know, and it's, it's again, it's another mixture of, you know, we were a sinking ship. I think even after kind of employing Ranieri, most players knew that um, we were going to get relegated. Um, and it's tough to sign players in that situation. Um, you know, and I think, again, it was another balance issue, a uh, bit of inexperience, you know, um, players not wanting to play for the club, um, not, not wanting to get relegated. And to be honest, you know, that's kind of how it is. And we were kind of shot then, to be honest with you. The only way we were, we were going to get ourselves out of that situation was by a coach coaching what he had at disposable um, and getting them playing together. But obviously that never came. Okay, very good. Emilio, back over to you. Yeah, so before we touch on that point, I, you know, and I've been saying this considerably throughout the season, I said at the beginning of the show, those players should have been good enough to to have kept us in this league. You know, bottom line, I know we've talked at length all season about conceding on average two to three goals a game. That's unacceptable. You know, the plays aren't bad overnight. You know, there's, you know, then there's other, I think there's other related factors which probably outweigh the fact that, you know, we, you know, we, the recruitment, you know, the, the why were we conceding two to three goals every single game? You know, is, is it tactics? Is it the way we, the style of football? Slab needs to get some criticism for his stubbornness, not picking certain players. There's the injuries we were talking about. So we're going to talk about later, but I just feel that, why? Why did Cardiff almost hang in? You know, survive. By, you know, I think they, they only went down by a point. Brighton's, you argue, their squad is a lot weaker than ours, but they they kept us they kept themselves in the in the Premier League. Yep. Southampton, I'd argue, are not much better. So, you know, it just gripes me. That it's easy to blame recruitment that the players, you know, weren't good enough, and you know, and some of them weren't good enough, but. This frustrates me that the, that squad we should have comfortably stayed in the Premier League, and and I'm not putting the responsibility solely at Tony Khan and his recruitment policy because he had the right intentions 
at heart. He tried to have cover in each of those positions. And, you know, we have to sort of, uh, next moment, let's, let's look at the management here as well, because, you know, that yep. has, to, has to explain a lot of the reasons why, you know, too much tinkering. Too yep. many you know, goalkeepers at the beginning of the season. You know, three goalkeepers played in the first few weeks. That's ridiculous, you know, and that's, sure. can't blame the recruitment for that. You've got to blame the people who's actually picking the team week in, week out. So, you know, going back to the point around January, Tal, I just think, I think there was an acceptance that we were going down. Okay. And they were really trying to plan for, for next season, in my opinion. You know, the Ranieri it wasn't working. December was working. You know, yep. Ranieri wasn't doing results. We were defensively a lot tighter. That coincided with uh, with Mawson coming back into central defence and making us feel a little bit more tighter at the back. But it's, you know, Ranieri was only going to be a short-term option. We all know that. And I just felt that why give him the funds to invest? Let's just accept relegation and let's build for the next two-year plan. That's my view. And plus, to Scott's point, it would have been difficult to to attract the right type of player. Hence the reason why we've only got short-term options like Ryan Babel, who admittedly right. has done a great job. It's okay. a shame we can't keep him. Okay, excellent. Mike, your thoughts on this? Uh, yeah, I mean, it was... I mean, yeah, I mean, January, they, they did have deals in place, or they'd certainly agreed things, but uh, I think you've got to take it almost game by game. You know, Ranieri, for all his faults, and we can look back and say it was a disaster, and it pretty much was, but you know, he had picked up, I think it was nine points from eight games. You know, we beat Huddersfield at the end of the year and we were actually one point away from, uh, you know, 17th place. And then we had to play Arsenal, which was always going to be tough. But really, it was the Burnley away game. Um, yeah. You know, you go there, you're four points you're four points off. They're a team down the bottom as well. And, you know, we played well first half, but, um, you know, Eventually, we lost the game 2-1. You find yourself five points short. Then you've got Tottenham. <laughs> and, you know, before you know it, you're a couple of days before the end of the of January. And, uh, you know, you're seven points behind. And yep. so, you know, those players who we, if you believe everything that you hear, we had agreed that they were going to come. And, and the biggest one is Cahill, isn't it? So he's the one that everyone goes on about. Yep. Personally, I wasn't that bothered. Um, but we were going to pay him shed loads of money, but he made the decision not to come. And it makes sense if you think about it. You know, he has a reputation that, you know, he hasn't played for Chelsea much of the season. And that reputation, as of today, is still good, isn't it? Now, if he'd come to us for three or four months and been appalling, he would be a free agent in the summer, but teams like Norwich coming up, or, I'm not, or Sheffield, might, who might consider a player like Cahill, you know, at the moment he's still on their radar possibly. But if he'd been gone down with us, he would have been, you know, thanks a lot, but you're over the hill. So it really, I, I put it all down to the Burnley game. I felt if we'd won the Burnley game, we would have been back to a point off, and um, you know we could have got in some players, but. Uh, to help us, but it just, it, you know, it wasn't to be, and, and that really knocked the stuffing out of us, I think, that okay. result, and we never really recovered, and uh, so, yeah, the trouble is, as well, you look back, and the cards of and they tend to do it, is they will make a quote, whether it's a real quote, but whatever yeah. it is, it ends up being, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever it takes, or we're going to bring in countless players, or a handful of players, and in the end, they turn up with Babel and uh, two guys who were waiting in the corridor type thing, you know? So, uh, 
yeah, I think that the one lesson they should learn is, is not to uh, build up what they're potentially going to do and just deliver it. Absolutely, Mike. You're spot on there, my friend. All right, Scott, back over to you. A couple things. Do you have something you want to share ab- about this topic? And also, after that, I have to ask you this question, and this is something that I want to ask the three of you, and I'll share my view on this as well. Tony Khan, is he qualified to fulfill his role? Over to you, Scott. Um, I mean, I, I you know, um, people here on this podcast probably know that I've probably been one of his biggest critics throughout the season. Um, I mean, for me, his heart's in the right place. Um, I yep. believe he wants to do well by the club. Um, I believe he wants to succeed. And, you know, he's not a type of sort of director of football or an owner's son that, that wants anything bad by Fulham. I, I honestly do believe that he wants a club that, that does well, um, that's in the top flight. You know, something he can be proud of. He, he, he tends to be that type of guy that... You know, he likes successful things. He likes to be seen in, in, in the limelight of being successful. Um, but it's just, obviously, you know, it's it's not worked out. Um, my biggest issue is I feel that he's either been self-promoted or promoted um, from within to a position that he's not quite qualified at at the moment. Okay. Um, it's not a job that you pick up overnight and you all of a sudden have experience in and, and you become a, a great director of football. There's going to be a lot of um, learning curves along the way. You know, you're going to get things wrong um, and then eventually you're going to learn by the mistakes and get things right. And I think that's kind of what Tony Khan, you know, is kind of going through. Um, never met the guy. I don't know from next to Adam. So I can't obviously um, sort of delve too much into his life and what he's like as an individual. But yeah. this is football I think sometimes um, you know when you put in the face you know when you put your face in the limelight um, and you expect good things to happen at least back it up with um, maybe experienced people behind you that know the job Um, you know maybe just swallow your pride a little bit bring people in that can help you help you learn there's nothing wrong in that Um, I I think sometimes we're we're very much very vocal about stuff um, and we say we're going to do it and I believe there's every intention but we always seem to end up with egg on our faces you know it, yeah. it always ends up row with fans or you know we, we we say we're going to deliver something and we don't we're miles late with it um, you know and the expectation goes down from the fans and we, we look stupid and the biggest thing that I've said um, from us as a club um, from an ownership point of view is that we we always look very inexperienced at in what we do we, we look like part-timers you know um, you know, that's my thoughts on it personally. I mean, other guys will give their feed, but that's just how sure. I see Tony. And it's nothing personal. Um, sure. You know, I think he's got every intention to do right. I think he will succeed. Um, I just think there are times when you've got to kind of sort of put your hands up and say, I need help. Um, and I think that's maybe the situation that we're in. Okay, excellent. And uh, I'm just going to share my view of Mike, then I'll go to you. Because I agree with Scott. I think his heart is in the right place. But I do think that he needs help. And I don't think that it's wrong to get help. I, I think he's someone that is learning on the job and could use someone that has some knowledge to help him out for his learning curve. And I think it would be good for him. So that's the way I'm looking at it. Mike, what are your thoughts on all this? We've talked about this before. You even, I believe, said that you thought it would be a good move if they brought someone in just for PR reasons to help him out. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh... It's an emotional subject as well for a lot of reasons, isn't it, and for a lot of people. And, 
Yeah, I mean, I've actually, you know, I've said to him, I said, the easiest thing you could do is bring someone in to work with you. And even if, you know, and uh, the fans would accept that a bit more. I actually think, I don't, in some ways, I don't think the problem is Tony. I think it's, I think the problem is the scouting. I think it's Talbot and, and our scouting network and that type of thing. You know, some of the stuff I hear from elsewhere is not good. And I think that, there's a there's a real issue in that kind of area, okay. and you know he is the invisible man at the club, isn't he? Have we ever seen an interview with Brian Talbot? No, no. not that I you remember. Know, he, he gets away he gets off, away scot free without actually you know being anywhere. He's our assistant director. He's the one who is even the title. I have to say, I think the title doesn't really work for for Tony Khan. He's not really a director of football as such, and. Uh, you know, he's much more involved in the recruitment side and, and the, the stats side and working with those guys. But it's a machine that works itself, even when Tony's not around. So, you know, who is doing the day-to-day stuff at the ground? So, it's, it, it, yeah, I agree with a lot of what Scott said there. His heart's in the right place. Um, we certainly get, you know, one advantage of him being the, the owner's son is that he can go to him and say, you know, our budget was 70 million, but actually we're going to have to spend 100 million. Um, and he will get that, you know. And we've gone down the route of Mike Rigg as a sort of director of football. And, you know, that didn't work. So when people say, oh, I want someone with experience and, or, you know, or who's qualified, well, what qualifies the person? You know, what makes that person a good director of football? Because, you know, certainly within the, the British game, you hardly ever see any ex-players. Now in Holland, and especially in Ajax, you see that the whole backroom staff, even the directors are all ex-footballers. Um, but that just doesn't happen over here. So, so yeah, there's still, there's things that he could do to improve probably, you know, just his image and, and yep. the way the job is done, but also the processes that are in place. And, uh, you know, he he needs to admit that he's made mistakes as well. Um, right. But, uh, you know, and, you know, he says he's got time to go and do all these other things that he does. And, you know, we don't want that. You know, we concentrate on following Fulham and we expect, you know, our, our, our the employees at the club to be there 24-7, never go home, never have a day's holiday. But, uh, you know, he, he, he's... He's his own worst enemy sometimes, and he could make it a lot easier for himself. Okay, very good there, Mike. Milio, over to you, your thoughts on this. And do you agree with Mike that we should be talking more about Talbot's role in all this? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's he's sort of a way out of the limelight, isn't he? Tony Khan is the face of, or should be the face off to the fans, and he's got you know significant abuse system, unnecessarily at times as well, because... Nobody was giving him abuse 12 months ago when we got promoted. So it's, it's you know, it's got to work both ways. You know, you know, last season, whatever, you know, or two years ago, should I, you know, should I say that they purchased appropriately or loaned players appropriately to get us out of that division. And we successfully did that. Obviously, you know, it was a different ball game, trying to get the right squad, the right depth, the right talent coming through. And, you know, Talbot, you know, he's in the background. You know, there's a lot of con- there's a lot of speculation around what he actually does and you know what value he brings to the table. But 
you know, unless that changes, I, to Mike's point, I'm not sure Tony's going to make more progress in terms of developing and strengthening his experience in this role. So he does need more, more, uh, more support. And, may, and also, we haven't talked about the analytics side of things as well. So maybe that's a conversation for another time. But, you know, how successful is that analytics theory when, when, when yep. it comes to recruitment of players? And that, that, that obviously had a bearing on the type of players that we purchase and how right. unsuccessful they proved to be during the course of uh, the season. So overall, I agree with what the, the two guys have said. And I just think it's, you've got to take the good with the bad. And Tony, unfortunately, is. Got nothing but criticism all season. Yet we, we never got the uh, the criticism a year ago when we got promoted. Okay, excellent there, Emilio. And I'm glad that uh, we're talking about this and that Mike brought up these uh, comments about Talbot because um, I I think it's something that we have not talked enough about. And I'm glad that we brought it up on this show. All right, guys, let's move on. Let's now discuss coaching issues and team management and. Mike, I'm going to start with you, and uh, I might have asked you this before, and we're going to do this a, a little quicker here. Let me ask you, was Slavisa sacked too soon? I have to say probably not, no. I mean, he'd lost six on the trot. Um, yes, Liverpool uh, was a little bit better, but the week before we saw possibly one of the worst performances we've seen in a good four or five years, which was Huddersfield away. I don't, well, actually, a performance is... Uh, is to uh, there was no performance that day, so you cannot, as a manager, lose six, six, seven games on the trot. You just can't. And he was chopping and changing, leaving players out. You know, you couldn't make sense of what he was trying to do. And uh, so, unfortunately, no, I don't think he was sacked too soon. Okay, okay, excellent, Emilio. Over to you. Let's talk a little bit more about Savisa. Now, this is hindsight. Do you believe Savisa would have kept this up, or were the cons right to sack him going along with what we were just talking about? Mike believes he was sacked at the right time. What, what are your thoughts? No I, no, I was all for him moving on. You know, I respected the job he did getting us promoted last year, but it's the manner of some of those defeats is what you know, was baffling, and... You know, the Huddersfield game away was just the last straw. That was that was as bad a performance as I can remember in, in many a season. But it was just the tinkering, you know, you know the, the goalkeeping situation. You know, he never knew what his right team was, what formula he was trying to play, drop, chopping and changing. You know, he he was Mister Tinkerman, not Ranieri, to be honest. And um, it it gave the, the 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 owners no no an easy decision, in my opinion. You can't go in the Premier League. You can't get away with losing six or seven consecutive games. And falling flat in your faces most of those games. The Cardiff game away. What a debacle that was. You know, Huddersfield away offered absolutely nothing. Liverpool, yes, you know, and Chelsea away weren't the worst performances in the world. But that, the Cardiff and Huddersfield game for me just showed there was just no desire, no passion. I think he just, I think he lost belief as well. Okay. And that led to the players. You can see the players were just, lot, you know, demotivated. And maybe the warning signs were there after the Cardiff game, in my opinion. You can't go to lose, lose 4 2 away to Cardiff. That was embarrassing. So I agree with Mike. I think the right decision was made. And, you know, at the end of the day, it was a difficult decision, you know, but there's no loyalty in this game, is it? It's all about success on the pitch. If you don't get success on the pitch, then more likely you're not going to succeed in your job. And you know, so, no, I agree with Mike. Right thing to do at the time. Okay, excellent. Scott, over to you. I want to ask you this. 
What impact yeah. did the managerial merry-go-round have on the players' motivation, confidence, and style of football, including Ranieri's outspoken comments on players such as Sessegnon? He was outspoken. How much of a factor do you think that all had on our season? Yeah, sorry, Russ. I thought he was, um, was going to ask me about the original question then before we went on to this. You can uh, comment on that too. Yeah, I'm just going to say that, that for me, and I think a lot of the fans, I think with uh, Jukanovic, it was the emotional attachment with him. Um, you know, the good times of the championship and the football that we played. Um, you know, there, there was a big, big emotional attachment with Jukanovic. He changed you know, the structure of our point. Uh, sorry, the, the structure of, of how we played. He was a feel-good manager. We were playing some of the best football in the championship. And at times through that unbeaten run of 23 games, we looked unbeatable. And, you know, we had flags and, you know, he had, he had a song. And, you know, we, we, we sort of step up to the Premier League. And for me, the guy... Um, as much as I love what he did, he just looked completely lost and out of his depth. And, you know, maybe one of the reasons why Watford maybe sort of moved him on, um, you know, the, and the Khans, he, he, for me, just, and I, and I felt sorry for him at times, he, he just looked like he'd lost the plot. There was no rhythm to his game. Um, you know, he was chopping and changing all the time. He couldn't keep up with the pace. Um, and I mean, he was still trying to use a tactic of knocking it around the back in one of the most fastest, quickest, unforgiving leagues in the world. Um, and we were getting hammered week in, week out. And, you know, deep down, I was saying to him, like, you know, after six, seven games, you know, this guy's got to go. But emotionally, I didn't want to see him to go because he brought so much kind of joy to the club, Russ, you know. Um, we're gone now. We're relegated. It, it, it's, you know, it's past tense. We, we've got to move on. He's not coming back. And, and that's how I see it. Okay. Very good there. Mike, you had some thoughts on Savisa you wanted to share as well? Yeah, I just wanted to say about Savisa. I mean, it was a. I agree with everything the other two guys have said. Um, for me, I, w- I would have kept him, but only if he'd agreed to have signed an extension. And the fact that he turned down the extension in the summer always sort of annoyed me a bit. And um, if you're going to stick with a manager who potentially in a, you're going to get relegated with, which happened to Burnley a few years ago, if you feel that manager is committed to your club, then you stick with it. The fans would have stuck with Jukanovic, I believe, if we'd all been aware that, you know, okay, the plan is we're going to go with him. And if we go down, we'll stick with him and he's going to stay with us and we're going to continue. So the fact that he he did not seem to want to sign a contract for it as an extension was always another reason why I was happy, not happy, but one of the reasons I would have uh, got rid of him. And uh, the... Scott says about, you know, he looked lost. I mean, my unfortunately, my last image of um, Jukanovic is actually at home to Bournemouth. And it's we're 1-0 down and he's he's over the far side. And he's I think he's talking to Siri, if I remember rightly, about coming on. Or, or I can't remember exactly what it was. And they scored their second goal. And I sit opposite the dugout and I saw him. He, he turned around to the dugout turned back on the pitch and just put his head in his hands. He just didn't know what to do. He'd, he'd run out of ideas. Yeah. Just wanted to share that, really. It was, it was a sad sight. It was a sad sight. I'm glad that you brought up that match, Mike, because that, to me, was a major turning point in the season because that's a team they should have beaten at home, Bournemouth. And, listen, we saw that at the end of the season, but at that point, the match obviously didn't matter. We were already relegated. But they had the ability to beat a team like Bournemouth at home. 
And like you said, at that point, he ran out of ideas, Mike. Yeah, that was it. You know, he'd, he'd run out of ideas completely. Okay. Okay, very good. Milo, back over to you. Let's talk about the fact that we we did have this manager merry-go-round. And how much of a factor do you think that had on the players' confidence, psyche? Someone like Cessnion, and uh, obviously th- there were the comments from Ranieri. Yeah, and I think in any working working environment, you know, when you've got a new manager or a new boss in place, there's always a lot of uncertainty, speculation. You know, the the players knew that you know they've obviously lost seven, six, seven games on the spin, so confidence was at a, a you know, rock bottom. Obviously, okay, Ranieri won his first game, that sort of you know brought some confidence back to the team and a much needed win. But it never helps when you sort of your manager who's just you know. To Scott's point, the loyalty, there was a loyalty towards Jukanovic, but it was a hard decision for the owners to get rid of him. And the players maybe felt let down. So obviously your shoulders are dropped, confidence levels are down, in comes a new manager. And this is where maybe we, what we haven't focused on is, you know, I was all for Ranieri, you know, at the time, so I felt he would stabilise the defence and make us more difficult to beat. And admittedly, he did that in December. But... You know, is, we're going from a, an expansive style of football that right. Sabisa's playing to Ranieri, a very defensive, you know, system which has worked, which has worked well in the past, and but you know, obviously didn't work particularly well for Fulham. So it's you know, we didn't have the right players necessarily to play that type of football. Players' confidence, you know, is all time low. You've got Sessegnon's confidence knocked to pieces because basically he was out. You know, Ranieri was outspoken about him in many press conferences. Kenny was playing out of position. It was just a com- complete shambles at times. You've right. gone from one style of football to a complete reverse and having to deal with poor results on the pitch, different style of football. It's just, it's inevitable that, you know, things weren't going to get much better. There was a bit of hope in December, but Mike probably made the right point. You know, the Burnley game, I think, was the crunch game. Yeah. It was a massive six-pointer. We lost it despite taking the lead and... um we never really looked back after that. It was, just, it was downhill, you know, all the way to the end of the season. So, yes, it will impact any organisation, but more so on the football pitch, where it's all it's all results driven. It's all about winning games, and you know, we just it was it, it was it was it was sad to see. You saw the the body language of Sessegnon when he was playing or not playing for that matter. When Kearney was playing out of position, you just saw the players' motivation and body language was was very very sad to see. Very, very sad. Okay. Okay, very good. Mike, back to you. What are your thoughts on what, what uh, Emilio was just talking about? Let's also talk about tactics because under Ranieri, I'm glad that uh, Emilio brought this up. I don't think he had the players he needed to play the way he wanted to play. Like you said, you're going from one style to another. On top of it, he was playing players out of position, and I think that was a factor. What What are your thoughts on all that? Well, yeah, I mean, no one, no one likes change, and, and this squad was built to play a certain way and even, you know, a certain formation. And so when you get a manager come in who, who wants to change everything, it can be difficult for those players. But I am someone who thinks professional players and certainly at this kind of level should be able to adapt within their sort of skill set, if you like. But, you know, individual players, I mean, I, you know, Sherler, for example, I mean, you know, he's, he's he's one of the last players I would ask to play as a right midfielder and help defend. So, right. you know, it, it, that doesn't help anyone. But, um, you know, we, the fact is we did get results. You know, Mawson played in every game in December and then got injured at half-time, you know, Huddersfield game. But 
you know, we we did turn a corner under him, and uh, but it, you know, it all, you know, it just all went wrong, and um, the style. It was interesting. I sit in front of two people who are forever moaning about Jokanovic and <laughs> and the passing and keeping the ball and get it forward, get it, you know, kind of guys who who like Hutchinson knocking it diagonally to Matt Smith kind of tactic. <laughs> and then they had it and they were still moaning. So, yeah. um, you know, people, it, it was a completely different, I was glad we had it in some ways for a little while yep. so you could look back and appreciate what it is just watching a, a team play football. But um, it was working, but then, you know, we hit January and uh, I also think with Ranieri, you know, the, the fact that he went to Roma very quickly, I, I think he must have been tapped up very early on that yeah. one. And, uh, you know, we're, and I heard, you know, there's other stuff you heard about him turning up late at training and, and just losing interest very quickly okay. um, at a certain point. So, yeah, it was, um, I thought he was the right person. You know, I was quite happy and initially, yeah, but uh, again, you just can't lose whatever, you know, whatever it was, five, six games on the trot like he did or, you know, yeah, it was. Uh, we saw him. He's gone. We move on. Right <laughs> thing, really. <laughs> okay, very good, guys. There's something I want to talk about that I don't think we've talked enough about, and that's been dressing room problems and turmoil because I think that's a factor in the demise of Fulham's season. And Scott, I want I want to go to you. I, I I'm curious your thoughts on this. Was Tim Ream's outspoken comments in November a warning sign that something was clearly wrong with the team? Yeah, I mean, I think I think we had it from the beginning, whether it was with Djukanovic or um, or whether it was with with Ranieri. I think as a squad, a uh, team, um, or even a club, I think we had a lot of on, a lot of unrest throughout the season. Um, you know, I think there were rumblings or there were, were sort of noises that um, some of the Championship players weren't happy with, obviously not being included this season. Um, I know or I heard of an issue being, I don't know if it's 100% true, but there was issues obviously with Joe Hansen, um, you know, sort of not being offered extensions and and whatever, and two players coming in ahead of him. Um, You know, there was a lot of unrest on top of um, what had already gone on. Um, And then you have that, and then obviously you throw Ranieri in the mix, as we know, who's a very sort of unorthodox coach, Wacky in places, you know, dilly ding, dilly dong, you know. Yeah. Um, I I just don't think, for me, you know, we, we, we had that settled status all season. I mean, you can, and I think bringing up another question, I can't remember who, who said it before. I think it might be the video. Um, you know, how how the hell did Cardiff sort of just miss out by a point? I mean, that's because you get togetherness in the squad. Um, right. Know, what your qualities are. If you put 11 men together and, and they're going to fight for the calls and they've got stability and they know their jobs inside and out, um, you're going to get a work ethnic problem. They might not be the most prettiest side. Um, mm-hmm. You're going to get that. Um, we we just seem to have, I think, issues in, in, in a few places throughout that season and they, they all seem to kind of cause issues, you know? Absolutely. And Emilio, back over to you. Let's talk about another warning sign the situation with Abubakar Kamara, because I think that was, again, something told me there's something really wrong with Fulham Football Club. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, he, he just completely lost his head, didn't he? That incident against Huddersfield, you know, that I can still, right in front of me, you know, I saw the end, I actually recorded it, I shared that with you, didn't I, after the game, and it's just a, an embarrassment. In and there, but that all to do with, you know, he had the right intentions at heart. He wanted, he, he earned the penalty, he wanted to score the goal, and it's just inevitable he was going to miss, wasn't it? And then you saw there was other, you know, we gave him the benefit of the doubt in that game. You, yep. know, and I, you know, I was very critical of Kenny, I recall, for not being a leader on the pitch. You know, that day, he, there was Kenny needed to act as a captain, a true captain, and put the issue to bed. But no, instead, he was just quipping his hair throughout the, the, the moment that Kamara and Mitrovic were having a, a Barney. Then you had the bust up with Mitrovic during a yoga session. There's a training ground in Silk Park. It's just Tim Ream's comments. I think we've not, no one has reflected enough about. I think he, there was a lot of unrest, as Scott said, but yep. players not wanting to play, players not up to the fight, you know, a lot of bitching going on. It's, you know, <laughs> Tim Ream is probably the calmest person in that Fulham squad. Yeah, for him to come out on record, player of the season last year by the fans. Yep. For him to say that, and you could argue maybe there's a bit, a bit outspoken for him to have come out and say that on record. It well, there was something clearly wrong, and it's just unfortunate we haven't really reflected on that because you know it's you know we've always focused on too many goals conceded, maybe not enough goals scored, but ultimately the togetherness has not been there all season. To Scott's point, and it's yep. quite the Kamara incident was just a very very obvious example of that. It's just that could have been addressed, and a lot of it might be all to do with the with the management as well. Yes, you know, you know, Mr. Warnock. None of us like Bill Warnock, do we? But in the, the day, <laughs> he keeps that squad of average to poor players together yep. and almost got them to survive in the Premier League. Were Jakanovic and Ranieri the right type of managers to keep that squad of players together and be up for the challenge? Obviously not. As a case of if we had Warnock instead of those two guys, do we think we would have stayed up? Maybe there's a question there to Mike and to uh, Scott. <laughs> Yeah, Chris Hewton, you know, okay. you know, said, you know, would we have stayed up with that? But I honestly believe that's what I've said it time and time again. That squad was good enough to stay in the league. You can't okay. just make recruitment for our failures. There's other key facts we've discussed tonight. So I'd like to see what Mike and uh, Scott think if we're all not. Sure, sure. Sure, Mike, Mike, I'll go to you. I definitely want your thoughts on what Emilio is sharing about those other managers and also. I want your thoughts on this because they, both the guys are talking about togetherness, lack of leadership. I think these are factors in not just the turmoil and the dressing room problems, but the failure of Fulham Football Club last season. Uh, yeah, I mean, I you know I, I agree with Emilio that we had the squad was good enough. I was fourteenth was realistic for us. Um, so yeah, something was wrong. Sometimes. It, you know, if there's uh, infighting or little groups within each squad, which you're going to have, you know, if you've got you know, yeah. 25, 30 blokes, you know, you're always going to have uh, little groups. But, you know, it does leadership does come from the top. So, you know, the point Emilio makes about, you know, it's down to your cannabis, it's down to Renary, it's down to Parker, whoever your manager is, to, uh, you know, build a squad mentality. And, uh, you know... If we go back to Jokanovic, you know, he and let's say Johansson, you know, Johansson was in and out of the team all the time at the beginning of the season. You know, one minute he's starting, then he's on the bench, then he never yep. got on. And, you know, so you could argue contract to what, uh, forget the contract for the moment, but, uh, 
you know, as a as a player, he was treated pretty shabbily. You know, he yep. was in and out and and everything. But so you know, Kamara under Ranieri, from what I gather, Kamara for all his madness on the pitch uh, throughout the last year and a bit is is an you know a nice lad gets on with everyone. But it's, for whatever reason, during Ranieri's reign there, it all just went wrong. And I have to say, Claudio's comments about I'll kill him and and some of his other stuff about session on and and other bits and pieces that was the one of the biggest letdowns from an experienced manager. Yes, his fan management comments was appalling. Absolutely. And um, so you know, splinter groups all over the place. You know, and I think you could tell that the players weren't fans of Ranieri at all. And, and you know, Kamara and what went on, I think he got wound up by Claudio somehow, for whatever reason, and uh, blew his top. And, uh, you know, we saw what happened. He had, to, he had to go off. Okay. Mike, before I go over to Scott, I have to ask you the question. And listen, I'm no fan of this manager. In fact, I can't stand him. Would Neil Warnock have kept Fulham in the, in the, in the uh, Premier League? Uh, not with this squad because it, it couldn't play his way. Okay. How about Chris Hewden? Uh Yeah, Chris Hewden would have done, yeah. Okay. Scott, want your thoughts on, on those two matches as well. At, at the end, you can share your thoughts. But I definitely want to get your thoughts about the lack of leadership because I've been talking about this a great deal. What, what are your thoughts on this? Um, firstly, I've got to congratulate Emilio there because that comment about um, Kenny quiffing his hair had me in stitches. Um, <laughs> even, even though I was muted behind my, TV, behind my screen, that was fabulous. I because I've just I've, these visions I've of him. I've got photographic yeah. evidence of it on the video. He put his hand to the span of his head and he <laughs> that quick up. <laughs> just sitting there thinking about it. He's a quiffer. Great. Um, coming back to the original question, um, would yeah, would up? I think Mike's right in regards to um, his his style. I don't think his style would have kept us up. I, I don't think um, that squad would have adapted. Okay, we, we see that coming from um, Savita's style to to, to Ranieri's. Um, maybe Hewton might have had a, a better go. I don't know. But I've always said if we would have skipped Ranieri and maybe have put Parker in his place, we may well have stayed up. Not because. We know what he's like as a coach because we don't. I just think that he's the only one out of the three that's maybe managed to pick a few of those off okay. up, up the floor and, and maybe get a bit of togetherness together. And if we had a little bit more of a long run, um, I think it may well have been a, a different story, Russ. That's very interesting. Mike, your thoughts on what Scott just shared there? Because we are talking about togetherness. It's a good point because we've seen that, and that was one of the things that Scott Parker wanted to instill in Fulham. He was able to do that. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think if we went to Parker right after Jokanovic, maybe things would have been different? Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe we would have picked up a few more points. Um, would it have been enough? Because it was still a, a, a big challenge to to get the points we needed to eventually stay up. Um I, I, we, we would certainly know more about Parker now than 
than we do at the moment because uh, I think it was Scott might have even tweeted something the other day about um, we don't know what Parker's style is yet. You know, no, we, we don't. don't. Know kind of, we don't know what kind of football he really wants to play. And I've, you know, I've, I've seen almost every game he's been in charge. I mean, the one major tactical thing he's done is, that, you know, at certain points when we've been leading late in a game, he's gone to three centre backs, and um, and that's after a lot of conversation with his assistant Wells, and so. You know, and somebody said to me the other day, maybe he's just a steady Eddie, very cautious type uh, coach and manager, just as he was as a player, which, of course, doesn't really bode too well for yep. love and thunder of the uh, championship. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what he does in his first, you know, dozen games, really. Okay. Emilio? Your thoughts on this, because uh, I, I'm glad that Scott brought this up, because it's not something that I thought of, but it's an interesting discussion. Do you think if we bypassed Ranieri and went right to Parker, things might have been different? Quite possibly. I don't think it could have been any worse in reality, to be totally honest. Um, you know, there's a, there's those rumours of, you know, the second half performance against Brighton. There's a lot of speculation after that game that is actually Parker who made the tactical and changes for that second half. I was there, not aware of that. You know, there was a lot of there was a lot of speculation around that. It wasn't Ranieri's decision. Scott Parker, I don't know, in, you know, showed some authority there to say, no, this is what we need to do to to get something out of the game. And obviously, we won, ran out four two winners that game. But yep. I'm not too sure we would have done either way. I still I still believe it. If we had a more experienced coach at the helm, a Warnock or a Hewton, they would have got the they would have you know got the players together fighting okay. for the cause. It might not have been pretty, yep. but survival is not all about being pretty. It's all about staying in the league. And I just felt they 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 probably had enough qualities and experience, love them or hate them, that they would have kept us up. I honestly believe that. Okay, excellent. All right, guys, let's finish up with a topic that I just want to say in advance. I'm not saying this as an excuse because every team deals with injuries, but I think it's a factor here. I think we should talk about the injuries. And Mike, I want to ask you first, because I I think several injuries have affected Fulham's season. I think the most notable one is Alfie Mawson getting injured twice, especially the second time, because I think Fulham was starting to turn around defensively. But you also have injuries to Anguisa, Kearney, Sessegnon, obviously Bettinelli, Andre Scherler, and Joe Bryan got injured. So how much of a factor do we put on injuries to Fulham season, Mike? I, I don't think it was any more or less than on average. You know, players get injured all the time. But I think the key one is Mawson. You know, he arrived, okay. injured, he, he arrived injured, and the plan was always to have him and Chambers as the centre-backs. Um, I think even when he came in, the strangest thing was from you know going back to Yukanovich was the Watford game when he played Mawson on the right side and and uh, Chambers on the left side and you sort of thought why are you doing that? That they should be the other way round and you know that's just one example of what Yukanovich got wrong early on. But yeah, I mean he had that Mawson had that run as I said earlier with Ranieri and. Up until the Huddersfield game, and, and we, it looked like we were 
we tightened up and we're, we're playing well. And then he, you know, I don't know, tripped over his shoelaces or something. And, uh, you know, we never saw him until the end of the season. So for me, right. he was the key one. Okay. Um, the others, yeah, bits and pieces here and there. And Guisa, he started playing well towards the end of the year. But, uh, again, even when he was fit earlier on, he was in and out the side. But uh, I think if Mawson stayed fit for January, we would have... We, that was our best chance. That was our best chance. Okay. All right. Scott, what are your thoughts about the injuries? Mike is uh, focusing on Alfie Mawson, and uh, that's a player that I've been focusing on. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I think Mike's right in regards to Mawson being the, the main one. Um, but, I mean, I, I look at it on in two ways. I mean, I, I don't give the club any kind of sympathy because they bought him injured. They bought him um, was it just before or just after he'd had the op on, on his knee? Um, or he waited until the season ended yep. with Ponzi, then went for the op and then moved to us. So, I mean, we knew the risks around, um, obviously, you know, playing him um, yep. or sort of reoccurring. And I also heard, um, again, I don't know how true it was, um, he come back recently, he played that, game or two games to the under-23s, he was then dropped again and we didn't see him. And I was told that there was inflammation again. There was a swelling on the knee and they rested him for the next under-23 games. And it was a bit of a concern there. Um, you know, this is a player that we've got out and bought, you know, for half-decent money. Um, and when it comes to knees, we know that obviously um, they can be a bit, you know, a bit dodgy. We, we yeah. don't know season whether that knee's going to hold up or whether he's going to be an influential part of that team. Um, he looked very slow and sluggish against um, Newcastle. We, you know, um, I think these guys might remember Stacey North from years ago. I mean, he had that double, mm-hmm. didn't he? And never come back from that. Um, and he, he was a good centre-half for us. Um, so these are the problems. And then when you look past him, I mean, Chambers never worked out. And if we all no. sat here today and said, you know, if we played this season with a Doyen Ream at the back, Brian back and, and Christy right back, are we going to have a storm of a season? And everyone would have actually laughed in your face. You know, <laughs> you know right. but that's, that's, that's the reality of it again. You know? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, we've, we've not seen past that injury. We, we, we've not looked at decent cover. And, and Mike's right in what he's saying. We, you know, we, we looked at Chambers um, as, as being a centre-back, but it, it never worked out. And I think that put us in a lot of trouble. Okay, excellent there. Scott, over to you, Amelia. I'm going to give you the final word on the injuries. Yeah, I think it's probably it impacted us more than in previous seasons. I think last season we sort of, you could argue we got away with injuries, hence that, um, that incredibly unbeaten run at the second half of the season. So this year we had more more injuries to contend with and we, you know, we struggled to adjust. You know, I think if you look at Mawson, you know, I've always, I've said it several times on the show that I compare him to Lewis Dunk in terms of his ability to lead from the back. You know, he built a very good rapport with Rico. You suddenly saw Rico keeping two clean sheets in December Rico wasn't making some of the mistakes he made in February, March time when, admittedly, Mawson wasn't in front of him. So Mawson was always mopping up at the back. So I know Mike's always been quite vocal about Dennis Odoi not being good enough in defence, but Dennis had the opportunity to venture forward knowing that he had someone like Mawson there just, just mopping up and covering up and having a good reading of the game. So I think you could argue that maybe that was a turning point of the season because we were still in contention to stay up at, that, at the point in time that he got injured. And... Um, you know, if he was leading away to Burnley, away to Crystal Palace, West Ham, Southampton, those away games that we got nothing out of. You know, there's with Mawson was there in the you know defensively 
keeping us together and in some sort of shape. I, you know, we'd have had more chance of staying up, in my opinion. But you know, it's too little, too late now. But yep. oh, goodness speaking, he was a big step. But also, Kearney, one minute he's playing on the right, then he's playing in midfield, then he's got injured. There's no consistency there, no you know, no fluency there. Sessignon, yep. one minute he's been out, you know, outspoken comments by Ranieri. Then he gets injured. Then he substitute. Then he gets dropped. It's just. You know, what does it do for confidence? Yep. You know, so ugly speaking, it's uh, I, I think injuries played a bigger part than people think this season. Yes, we should have the squad, but ultimately, you know, we, we weren't able to deal with it. And the tinkering by both managers that in the season just didn't help matters. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I'm glad that we ended talking about injuries because I think it is a factor. And uh I just wanted to make it clear at the beginning that I'm not using it as an excuse because I think it's important that we look at everything that went wrong this season. I I think we did a good job in about an hour and 15 minutes of really talking about all the different factors into this uh, disappointing season. Guys, before we go, I want to give you all uh, final words on your thoughts on the show or anything else you want to share first. Over to you, Scott. Final word? Um, Yeah, final word. I just think for me – I just hope that after disappointments of this season, um, you know, we, we have a decent one next year. Um, like I said before in the show, I think um, we're in a much better place um, being relegated this time. We, we've got a lot of sellable assets. Um, we've got players that will still remain at the club. And strategically, I think if we had the right sort of balance, about four or five maybe, um, I think we've got the chance of, of bouncing straight back. Um I know a lot of fans saying, oh, you know, mid-table, this and that or whatever, but I I do honestly believe that. We don't know Parker's qualities yet, but if the club are true to him and they back him um, and they put a strong team around him and a strong team on the park, there is no reason why we can do that. Um, and that's what okay. I'm for over this summer. So that that's my final words for tonight. Okay, okay excellent. Over to you, Mike. Your final words. Yeah, I agree with Scott there. We uh, We have a a better, younger, more valuable squad than we did last time we came down. And, and also we have a, a hard core of the team that we got to the playoffs two years on the trot. So, you know, we should be in a very good position uh, when the season kicks off on the uh, 3rd of August. So, um, yeah, let's just hope team behind the scenes do the business, get players in early, uh, give Parker enough games in pre-season, which uh, I think is underestimated now. With no, you know, you've got to get everyone in ready for the season and then there's no sort of chance to catch up and go back into the transfer window. You have to have that team ready yep. for the first game of the season. So, uh, you know, when they go off to Portugal, which is where they're going for pre-season, um, let's hope uh, there are some new faces with them. Not too many, just half a dozen at the most. Yep. And uh, yeah, uh, I think I think we're going to have a good season next year. And just like to say, uh, you know, thanks for letting me do the show with uh, Scott and Emilio. It's, it's, I've enjoyed it. Oh well, that's great to hear, Mike. Emilio, over to you. Final word. Yeah, thanks to Mike and Scott. Nice to have you back, Mike. It's been a while, and uh, yeah, it's good to do the show again with you, Scott. So you know, you know, we spoke last week, Russ, didn't we, when we did the the show straight after Scott Parker's announcement. You know. Yep. I thought, you know, he's got to be compared to Frank Lampard. You know, Frank Lampard has not had a spectacular season, but look where they've they've got they've got they've got to the Wembley finals. You know, so we've got to believe that Scott's got the right attributes to to take this club forward. 
He's gone in with his wide, eyes wide open, so he knows what he's getting himself involved in. You know, he knows the club setup. He obviously knows what he what he can and can't do. And if there's a bit of back in there financially with the right players, there's no reason why he can't do what Frank's done for for Derby County, take them to a Wembley final, if not, you know, automatic promotion. It's going to be a challenge because that division is a, is arguably the hardest division in, in the entire universe. But you know, we've got the right foundation there. Got some good young players coming through. We've got to give some of the youth. An opportunity. Elliot looked very good last week when he came on for twenty minutes. You know, I like the look of him. Yes, he's very, very green. Lots to develop, but we've got some good youth coming through. And I see Scott giving those guys an opportunity to play in some of the games. And if we can keep some of our experienced players, you know, there's still something time saying that we might be able to keep Mitrovic. I think Sesenyon's gone. We know that. Yep. But you know, is is will Mitrovic stay and, and give us a fighting chance to get up? But let's see. Let's see. There'll be a lot of discussions in the in the, in the within the club, and hopefully they'll make the right decisions. But I'm I'm looking forward to next season. But it's not going to be a, an easy ride. I think we've got to accept that, but also give Scott Parker the chance to do his best to get us out of the division. Absolutely. So, yeah, Absolutely. Show tonight. So yeah, I've enjoyed it. I, I've enjoyed it fully, and uh, I'm glad that you guys shared your final words. The one thing I, I will share my final word is that uh, I'm looking forward to the upcoming full season, as uh, you guys were talking about, and Emil very. Smart by you to say that it's not going to be easy. Of course, it's not going to be easy. We've seen the championship. We know how difficult it is. But I think that they're better suited this time around than the last time Fulham got relegated. That's what gives me hope. But only time will tell. All right, guys, fantastic show. But we do have to wrap this up. For Mike Gregg, Emilio Donella, and Scott Tanfield from Friends of Fulham, I'm Russ Coleman. Thank you, as always, for listening to Cottage Talk. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.